shows a million laughs. It's the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival brought to you by Benders, Counter Offer, and Subliminal SF. How can you say that? I knew you wouldn't understand. What good is melody? What good is music if it ain't possessing something sweet? Now it ain't the melody and it ain't the music. There's something else that makes this tune complete. Yes, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. It makes no difference if it's sweet or hot Just give that rhythm everything you've got Yes, don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing I said don't mean a thing and all you got to do is sing like Nah, it makes no difference if it's sweet or hot Just to give that rhythm everything you got Oh, don't mean a thing, boy If it ain't got a better swinger
And good morning, everybody. This is The Bee, and you've been listening to my intro on the Labor and Love radio show, where every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 noon here on Mutiny Radio, we look at the labor movement, past, present, and future. Past, past, present, and future. And... uh, Labor commentary, labor opinion. Sometimes we have uh, interviews. And it all comes to you from Mutiny Radio. This is the Labor and Love Show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Elementary capitalist economics. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're on the menu. They're talking about you. They're taking the days of your life and cutting them up into pieces and figuring out how little they can offer you for that time. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Good morning. I want to start out with a plug for the uh, Mutiny Radio Festival that's coming up really quick now. Starting March 2nd, five-day extravaganza of comics and funny people from all over the country. A truly, truly uh, all-American, right? Uh, assemblage of comedians. So come on down. The shows are ten bucks each, <clears throat> and deals are available if you want to um, buy more. Uh, five days of comedy, twenty-five comics. Come on down. Come on down to Mutiny anyway. This is where it's happening. Something is happening. All the time. We've got art installations. We've got the aforementioned Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Mutiny Radio is one of the real centers of of stand-up comedy. In the city, you can actually come here and, in effect, take a class, take classes in stand-up comedy, where you get up in front of an audience of comedians, people just like yourself, and you give your spiel. And they criticize it in with a view of helping you get it better. Okay, so... Reminds you of the uh, saxophone battles in Kansas City in the 30s. 
um, you come in and you make yourself better. You hone your skills. We've got video here. You can um, rent the place for two hours for a hundred bucks and have your own meeting. Um, you can come down here and join our growing now group of programmers, Mutiny Radio personalities, huh? We got something for everybody at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street in El Mero Mero, the heart of the mission in San Francisco. Well, I hope you had a good week. I hope uh, I hope that uh, your work was good work because when work is soulless, you know, it's it just rots your soul. Albert Camus said something like that. I want to start out today with radio labor. We haven't had the radio labor report for the last couple weeks. One time I couldn't get it up on my uh, board here. And another time they were on vacation, a well-deserved uh, beginning of the year vacation. So here we go, Radio Labor. Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, January 11th, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, a global union says it's time to break up Amazon. How the care economy could help the environment as well as care workers. The Labor Start report about union events around the world and singing. This is Radio Labor. The international labor movement has been mobilizing its members to confront the vast changes in workplaces around the world. One of the global unions which has been developing responses to issues such as overpowering corporations like Amazon, workplace surveillance and informal work is Uni. Uni represents some 20 million workers in the skills and services sectors. Christy Hoffman is Uni's general secretary. At a recent conference in Copenhagen, she was asked by the panel moderator first about Amazon and concerns about health and safety. What I mean by dangerous? Well, just on the question of the bargaining, we see all kinds of health and safety issues, dangers presented for Amazon workers. When we looked at, I think the GMB, which is the UK union organizing Amazon workers, said there's 600 visits of an ambulance to the Amazon facilities in that country. More broadly, on Amazon, so there are the really brutal conditions for the workers, and they're not organized in the US. They're a little bit organized in Europe, but even where they are organized, the company really doesn't want to bargain with the workers. They, they're they trying to use their U.S.-style tactics in Europe. I think the bigger question is about breaking up Amazon because this is a company that power and size of Amazon has the threat to really disrupt all of our industries. I think the experts assess that Amazon could take over any industry in two to three years. And we see this across beyond the, the, the question of their own workers in fulfillment. We're looking at their impact in posts, in media, in IT, and across the entire commerce industry. 
Amazon is really special as far as the power it has to disrupt our bargaining relationships and to disrupt industries. There's a lot of bad employers out there. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of employers that won't bargain with workers. But Amazon is not just a bad employer. It's the size and their monopoly power and their ownership and control of data for so many people in the world that gives them an outsized power, which is why we say, look, let's break up Amazon. I'm Riaz from Mauritius. I'm the president of the Confederation of Private Sector Workers. Uh, my question, much has been said about digitalization of the economy. But when you see the trickle-down effects of this digitalization, it's not only about losing jobs. It's also about quality of jobs. In my country, workers are under e-surveillance. You imagine now, at midnight, the boss can... Yeah. Uh, remove his cell phone and see what the worker is doing. Oh, you're remaining idle. So we are like prisoners now. But not, not on this issue, trade unions are still silent. So what's your opinion about it? Look, it all comes back to bargaining, in my opinion. I think that this question of surveillance, it's, be, it's way, it, there is the capacity now techno technologically to surveil and monitor far more than in the past. So that's the job of unions is to negotiate over that. Just like we would have negotiated 30 years ago about what's just caused dis discipline. I mean, I think negotiating and organizing around surveillance and monitoring, it's a big issue. It's a big issue in, uh, in, in uh, across many of our industries. Just take call centers, for example, where every single call you have is monitored and assessed. You know, this is why we need unions. Chrissy, I think you, when we talk about gig economy, and that's, it might be a small section, but if you add all the informal workers, right. it's massive. The gig economy has existed forever, actually, right? Right. I, think, I mean, I think that um, even when you look at the ILO Commission on the Future of Work, that's certainly one of the big topics under that umbrella, which is how do we move people from formal into, from informal to formal, but then in addition, the question of, well, what rights should the informal economy have? Shouldn't there be a social platform? Shouldn't there be some basic social rights? How do we reorganize governments and, and social programs so that they capture the informal economy? And that, that's a big question for the future. By expanding the care economy, countries would not only be able to boost their economies, but also provide economic and social justice for caregivers. That was the message from Belan Arte to the delegates attending the recent Congress of the International Trade Union Confederation in Copenhagen. Ms. Arte is the National Women's and Human Rights Representative for the Canadian Labour Congress, the CLC. Expanding the care economy is an essential part of averting a global care crisis. And this expansion for this sector will require meaningful interventions by all political actors, and we as trade unionists must be vigilant in holding them accountable. It's also important to note that care work is low carbon work. Therefore, Investments in this sector will not only have an impact on the working conditions of care workers and on our economies, but it will also put us on the path to reducing our global carbon footprint. We must also acknowledge that the care sector is one where the work is gendered as women's work. This is a sector where women, especially women of color and migrant and refugee women, make up the majority of workers. And so, like so much of what women do, its importance to our economy is critically undervalued, 
and therefore continuously underpaid. Caring for care workers demands a commitment to women's economic liberation. Friends, I am excited to share with you that on International Women's Day, the Canadian Labour Congress launched a bold and powerful new campaign for women's economic justice, Done Waiting. Our campaign highlights three key labour priorities for Canada to truly make progress towards women's economic freedom. First, we demand that our federal government take action to end sexual harassment and violence for all by believing survivors, holding perpetrators accountable, and making our workplaces safer. Our second priority for our campaign is to end wage discrimination. And today, in Canada, women overall still make 32% less than men. And we also know that the gender pay gap is even wider for some when racialized women make 40% less, when indigenous women make 45% less, when immigrant women make 55% less, and when women with disabilities face the largest pay gaps, making 56% less. Our campaign demands proactive pay equity legislation from our federal government. And so finally, we demand that our government fix the childcare crisis in our country by adopting a national program for universal childcare. Women and all parents deserve to be able to go to work knowing that their children are safe and well cared for. In our movement, we are also committed to building stronger communities that welcome refugees and, re and reject xenophobia in our country. Comrades, our labor movement has a responsibility to fight for justice for all marginalized peoples in our workplaces and in our communities. And I believe that in order to build a movement that is rooted in worker power, then we must be united in our advocacy for the human rights of all workers. Because without justice for women workers, justice for LGBTQ2SI workers, justice for trans workers, justice for workers with disabilities, justice for indigenous workers, justice for workers of color, justice for Muslim workers, justice for migrant workers, and justice for refugee workers. If we are not fighting for the justice for, and liberation and freedom for all workers, then we are not truly building a movement. And as a young woman, as a young worker, as a worker of color, as a black worker, and as a Muslim daughter of refugees, I know that I am done waiting for meaningful action. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Derek prepared his report while traveling to a union event. Here's a tiny sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages added to our site each day last week. Our top story section included links to coverage of the immense strike involving 200 million workers as unions fought back against the neoliberal policies of the Indian government, a one-day general strike that brought Nigeria to a halt over minimum wage negotiations, and a walkout by McDonald's workers in the United States after an assault by a customer. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. 
A three-day action in Mali saw 95% of workers participate in an effort to win across-the-board wage increases to compensate for inflation and changes to the country's retirement age. Security guards in Zimbabwe wildcatted over poor wages and unsafe work. After five months of wage theft, leaders of a communications workers' union in India started a sit-in at the top of a transmission tower. A one-day general strike in Lebanon was organized to protest economic conditions and a political deadlock that has the country without a functioning government. Turkish metal workers ended a 186-day walkout with the victory they were aiming for in their wage dispute. Cleaners at a British airport held a week-long walkout in their wage dispute, while on the same day the famous beefeaters at the Tower of London stopped work in a pension fight. Attempts by the Cambodian government to suppress trade unions by imprisoning activists were unsuccessful, as garment workers demanding better wages struck just as four union leaders were sentenced to prison for leading an earlier walkout. And 20 factories closed as Bangladeshi garment workers organized a series of flash protests over wages and safety after rejecting a government-imposed wage increase on the 1st of December. Our top working women stories included coverage of the union push to have more women workers as candidates in Pakistan's local elections, the 240-day-long struggle for union recognition by workers at a cosmetics factory in Turkey, and the start of training in challenging workplace harassment of women in Tanzania. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the alarming prevalence of harassment and bullying in the Australian Border Protection Service and the terrible news that 30 Afghan miners died this week in a tunnel collapse. Currently, Labor Start is running six online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Union Nation with Union Ladies. Those corporations realize We all work Sisters, mothers, ladies, elders 
Nation is a musical project organized by the International Association of Machinists, the IAM. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Yes, indeed, it is about global solidarity. That was our radio labor news report. Labor news from all around the world, lest we think that here in the U.S. we are... uh, all alone. This is not true, ever. You're never alone. Never alone if you stand up for your rights. In every land, in every clime, for thousands of years, workers struggle to make their lives and their jobs better. You're part of a tradition. Okay, I, did, I have to identify my opening set. Started out there with um, Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing with Louis Armstrong singing a hit written by Edward Kennedy Ellington. Don't Mean a Thing If It Don't Got That Swing. Okay, number two, we played The Sultans of Swing by an excellent British band called Dire Straits. Very active, um, well-known band in the late 80s and, and uh, 90, early 90s. The Sultans of Swing, about musicians who are moonlighting to earn money to uh, survive while they play their music. And last was Billie Holiday with Ain't Nobody's Business If I Do. Okay, we followed that up with Radio Labor. So, let's go back to some music. Labor and Love Show, where we tell you how it is. Super Soul. It's a threat to really disrupt all of our industries. I think the experts... Pardon me. That was not some Super Soul. That was more of a... Radio Labor.
not sure I could They say Time heals everything But I'm still waiting I'm through With doubt There's nothing left for me Of war, you have built all the guns. 
that bell on the death blade You that bell on the palms You that hide behind walls You that hide behind deaths I just want you to know I can't see through your mess You that never done nothing Judas Thorbone You lie in D.C. The world war can be won You want us to believe But I see through your eyes And I see through your brain Like I see through the water that runs down my And all the triggers for the others to find. And you sit back and watch as a death count gets higher. You're hiding white mansions while young people's blood flows out of their bodies. could ever be heard the fear to bring children
That was Eddie Vedder. Let's uh, review that. Started out with Dust My Broom just for the hell of it. Uh, actually started out with Union Nation singing Union Ladies. Then we had Dust My Broom by the immortal Elmore James. Dust My Broom, 1952. All over the... Oh, in every black neighborhood or town in the country, I guess. Jukeboxes all over the country, I should say. Dust My Broom with its open tuning. Such an effective riff. Elmore James... uh, played little else but it was so effective I'm not ready to make nice with Natalie Maines a little more on that in a minute and Masters of War by Eddie Vedder this is Labor and Love and we're coming to you from 2781 21st Street, where we broadcast live every Saturday morning from 10 to 12. And uh, you can access our shows on the internet at mutinyradio.fm and then push uh, podcasts and uh, look up Labor and Love. There it'll be. You can also get to us on... uh, iTunes. Okay, we're getting sophisticated down here. Natalie Maines was uh, the second one. Not ready to make nice. The background of that song is uh, intriguing. Uh, Natalie Maines made a statement uh, during the Iraq War, actually at the very beginning of the Iraq War. And she says, she gave, the band gave an introductory monologue during which Maine said, she's in uh, London now, just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We do not want this war, this violence, and we're ashamed that the President of the United States is from Texas. George Bush, second George Bush. I feel the president is ignoring the opinions of many in the U.S. and alienating the rest of the world. My statements were made in frustration. One of the privileges of being an American is you have to voice, you're free to voice your own point of view. While we support our troops, there's nothing more frightening than the notion of going to war with Iraq and the prospect of all the innocent lives that will be lost. This was in 2005. Two 2006 documentaries, Protesting the Dixie Chicks and Shut Up and Sing, which several people said, just shut up and sing, you're entertainers. You know, you're not political beings. And the controversy surrounding Maine's comment and the ensuing fallout, the Dixie Chicks continued to discuss the matter. In an interview with the Daily Telegraph, uh, 
on June 15th, 2006, regarding the fallout from her comment, Maines once again stirred up controversy by saying, the entire country may disagree with me, but I don't understand the necessity for patriotism. Why do you have to be a patriot? About what? This land is our land? Why? You can like where you live and like your life, but as for loving the whole country, I don't see what people, why people care about patriotism. Well, 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 not exactly designed for uh, universal approval, huh? Natalie Maine speaks her mind. In, in that instance, she certainly did. All right, let's take a look at the labor beat now. Labor and Love Radio. Stories that uh, I picked up during the week. Labor and Love Radio now. Los Angeles Teachers Union, LAUSD, is getting set for a massive strike. Here in San Francisco, you're talking about 6,000 uh, school employees. In Los Angeles, it's six times that. Los Angeles teacher, this is uh, the socialist worker. Los Angeles teachers are preparing for a strike over pay, staff working conditions, and students' learning conditions in the second largest school district in the U.S., but at its core, the strike is a battle for the very existence of public education. One of the key issues that the union UTLA is fighting against is Super, Superintendent Austin Boitner's plan to split the Los Angeles School District into 32 smaller portfolios. If the district gets away with implementing the portfolio model, it will signal that the mass privatization of education is on in L.A. It's already going pretty strong. What is the portfolio model? Borrowed from Wall Street. The superintendent himself cut his teeth as an investment banker. Before that, he helped the Clinton administration bring free market capitalism to Russia after the collapse of the former USSR. A long list of powerful school administrators across the country who have no education experience whatsoever. This trend happened in L.A. when all of a sudden, instead of after Ray Cortinas was superintendent, instead of um, hiring an education guys or someone from within the system, they hired a fundraiser, a general. So, I mean, he wasn't about education or anything like that. He was about raising money. In this new system, school boards would manage a diverse array of schools, some run by the school district and others by independent organizations each designed to meet the different needs of students. Like investors with diversified portfolios of stocks and bonds, 
School boards would closely manage the community's portfolio of educational service offerings, divesting less productive schools and adding more promising ones. Okay, so what this means is low-performing public schools that are chronically underfunded, that are uh, chronically underpersoned, underworkered, these schools are going to be put out of business and replaced by brand new bullshit-based <laughs> charter schools. And again, I have nothing against the idea of charters. That's what the school boards are supposed to be providing. They get the money from taxes and they're supposed to provide good schools and of course they don't they're underfunded but the problem is when you as a teacher are you working for the public good as you are in a public school because public school is a decision by a community that education is crucial and important And a charter school, you're working for some capitalist, like Dolly Parton would say. You're putting money in his wallet, right? The kids then are, what we could say, are workers. The kids work is what's under scrutiny, and the teachers work. At any rate... In order to sell the aggressive restructuring of the portfolio model, the free marketers have to show that the school system is in deep financial crisis, which is the cause of its failing students and grades. This is why LAUSD is so intent on insisting that it doesn't have enough money for UTLA's demands Despite the fact that it's sitting on $1.9 billion in reserves and already diverts $600 million a year to unaccountable charter schools. District officials have manufactured a financial crisis in public education precisely so they can put forward the portfolio model as a solution. Its supporters say the portfolio model makes schools more efficient promotes local control and gives families a choice. It undermines community democracy. That's the other thing about public schools. Public schools are under your control as a member of the public. Public schools are run by people who have to run for election and who are accountable to you and me. Every district that has adopted the portfolio model, including New Orleans, Indianapolis, Denver, and Washington, D.C., did so with millionaire backing. Its advocates operate through education nonprofits and think tanks, but the money behind the portfolio model comes from sources like the Walton family of Walmart fame, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, 
Dell Czech Giants and Eli Broad, one of the world's richest people. These organizations are undemocratic and unaccountable to the community. Okay, check it out. The, uh, from what I heard this morning, the district has made an offer. The union said it's not enough. So the second biggest school district in the country on strike on Monday. To talk about this, about this, about Angela Davis. Uh, here's what I understand. Angela Davis was uh, granted the, uh, well, let's listen. Here's Amy Goodman. She can tell it better than I can. This report, I'm Amy Goodman. The Birmingham Civil Rights Institute is continuing to come under fire after rescinding a human rights award for the scholar, civil rights activist, and author Angela Davis. In September, the Institute announced it would award Davis the Fred L. Shuttlesworth Award, named after the civil rights icon. But last Friday, the Institute voted to withdraw the award and cancel this year's gala event in February. Davis is a Birmingham, Alabama native who grew up in a neighborhood known as Dynamite Hill because it was bombed so frequently by the Ku Klux Klan. The Institute rescinded the award days after the Birmingham Holocaust Education Center sent a letter urging the board to reconsider honoring Davis. According to AL.com, the January 2nd letter cited Davis's, quote, recent outspoken support of the boycott, divestment and sanctions campaign against Israel, which is very troubling as it targets the Jewish people excessively, the letter said. It went on to state, we do not suggest that Israel should be immune from criticism, but BDS ignores gross human rights transgressions by other countries around the world and focuses solely on Israel, the world's only Jewish state, unquote. Others in the Birmingham area criticized Davis for her support for the Black Panthers and Communist Party. The Institute's decision to rescind the award has sparked outrage in Birmingham and around the country. Birmingham Mayor Randall Woodfin said he was dismayed by the Institute's decision, which he said came after, quote, protests from our local Jewish community and some of its allies, unquote. The Birmingham City Council voted unanimously to express support for Dr. Davis, as did the Birmingham School Board. In addition, more than 350 academics have signed on to a letter supporting Davis that was organized by Jewish Voice for Peace. The letter states in part, quote, the decision seems to stem from a misinformed view that to advocate for Palestinian human rights is somehow offensive to the Jewish community, unquote. Meanwhile, three members of the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute have resigned, including the chair and first vice chair, following calls for their ouster over the controversy. Angela Davis is now scheduled to attend an alternative event in Birmingham next month, on the same night she would have come for the Shuttlesworth event, which is being organized by a coalition of grassroots groups. Well, on Thursday, I spoke with Angela Davis in her first television interview since the controversy began. She joined us from Oakland, California. I began by asking her to respond to the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute decision to rescind the award honoring her with the Fred Shuttlesworth Award. When they informed me that I had been chosen to be the 
2018 recipient of the Fred Shuttlesworth Human Rights Award, I was quite um, honored, uh, and uh, I was looking forward to returning to um, uh, the, the, the place where I was uh, born and, and, and raised. Uh, uh, by the way, I did know Fred Shuttlesworth. Uh, uh, and I went to school with uh, his daughter, uh, Patricia. So it was, it was um, quite an exciting development. Uh, uh, last Saturday, uh, I uh, sur surmised, shortly before they released the statement, the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute contacted me and simply read the statement to me. Um, when I uh, made requests to them to offer me more substantive uh, reasons uh, for the rescission of the award, uh, uh, I was uh, met with responses, um, very abstract responses, such as, it's a matter of public record. Uh, and so during the very brief phone call, I really did not know uh, uh, what it was that had, had caused them to uh, uh, take that uh, position. It was only um, after uh, I was informed that an article had appeared in the magazine Southern Jewish Life that uh, basically detailed uh, some of my activism uh, around Palestinian human rights uh, for BDS uh, against some of the policies and practices of, of the state of, of Israel. Uh, I don't think uh, they were aware that uh, the response would be so immediate and so overwhelmingly uh, in favor of my receiving the award. I have heard from literally hundreds of individuals and organizations. Uh, 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 letters are being circulating, circulated not only by Jewish Voice for Peace, but by um, um, historians, uh, I think it's the American Historical Society, I may be wrong, one of the professional organizations uh, that uh, 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 includes scholars who do work on civil rights. Uh, I have been um, contacted by many people in, in Birmingham. Uh, some of my oldest friends are involved in organizing the uh, event, the alternative event, which is scheduled to take place on the same day uh, that the uh, Birmingham Civil Rights uh, Institute event uh, was uh, originally to take place. It's actually quite... Um, um, exciting uh, to see the issue of, uh, of, of, of Palestinian justice, justice for Palestine, uh, uh, emerge as a um, uh, topic of popular discourse. We have attempted for so long to encourage a conversation. I was uh, Angela Davis, interviewed by Amy Goodman. Davis was uh, awarded a prize, a peace award, in the name of Fred Shuttlesworth. And uh, there was protest from uh, pro-Israel foundation, and the award was taken back. So people in Birmingham, Alabama, have organized an alternative ceremony for Davis to receive an award. Amazing. 
recall uh, Cynthia McKinney, a uh, congresswoman from Georgia, who had the affrontery to uh, protest the amount of money, the amount of aid that the United States was sending to Israel. And a very well-organized campaign took place to get her out, and she lost uh, the election the next time she was up for uh, election. All right, how about some music? Let's see what we got. One more. Good news, great news this week. That a young woman named Centoya Brown, who uh, was jailed with no possibility of parole for 50 years for uh, killing a man. Uh, her boyfriend, who terrorized her and uh, raped her, uh, offered her to another guy as a sex slave. And uh, Sintoya got a gun from away from him and shot him from the guy who uh, she'd been sold to. And she was jailed. She's been in jail now for six years. Let's listen up. On Monday was granted full clemency by Republican Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam after serving 15 years in prison. The decision follows months of intense public pressure and outrage over her case. Brown was sentenced to life in prison after being convicted of first-degree murder for shooting her rapist as a teenager. She had been sexually trafficked, repeatedly abused, and drugged. The shooting happened when Brown was just 16 years old, but she was tried as an adult. This is Centoya Brown speaking at her clemency hearing in May. It's been a very long time, and when I was 16, I did a horrible thing. And I have carried that with me this whole time. You always hear people say, like, if I could go back and if I could change things, but when you really realize that you've done something you can't undo, like it stays with you and it stayed with me this whole time. You know, that people here today that like I hurt them, they're hurting now, 14 years later. They've been hurting for 14 years and I did that. And I can't fix it. I can't fix it. Like, I had to change because I could not live with myself being the same person that did that. I, could, I couldn't do that. I can't, I can't face that. You know, I can't make up for what I did, but they've given me a chance to do so much more. You know, I've been able to help people, which is amazing. Young people, young kids, they listen, and I'm still going to try to help people. I still am, because it's something that people need to understand. It's something people need to know. There's so many things that I understand now that I didn't know, and there's so many young people that still don't know. Facing Toya Brown there at her hearing. She was granted clemency and will be released in August. The case of Sintoya Brown was especially egregious, even more than on its own merits, because of the way, two recent 
decisions about rapists. Um, friend of Donald Trump's and Bill Clinton's. Serial rapist of young girls. Trafficked young women. More than 200. Indulged in sex with young women. 13, 14 years old. Was given an 11 month sentence. And one of the people who was complicit in that was our current Secretary of Labor, Acosta, who at the time was a prosecutor in Miami. And he promised to throw the book at child pornographers and child traffickers. Well, here's a rich guy, a millionaire, who made it his trade to traffic young girls and to exploit them sexually. And he received 13 months sentence. I said 11, I was wrong. 13 months. We had the case of the young man at Stanford who raped an unconscious woman behind a dumpster one night and was caught at it given a few months sentence he was a young white man so <clears throat> young white men do things young black women do things and look at the difference Look at the difference. Sintoya Brown. Let's have some music. Um, I'm all for... How about this? What's going on? There's too many of you crying Brother, brother, brother There's far too many of you dying You know we've got to find a way To bring some love in here today Father, Father don't need to escalate Oh, you see, war is not the answer For only love can conquer hate You know we've got to find a way To bring some love in here today Oh, picket lines and picket signs don't punish me with brutality Come on, talk to me so you can see Oh, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, what's going on? Yeah, what's going on? 
are they to judge us? Simply cause our hair is long You know we've got to find a way To bring some understanding here today Oh, picket lines and picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Come on, talk to me so you can say Thanks for wrong. Who are they to judge us? Simply cause we wear our hair so long. You know we've gotta find a way to bring some love in here today. Oh picket lines, picket signs. Don't punish me with brutality. Come on, talk to me so you can see what's going on. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, what's going on? What's going on?
Trump, this is what you are. Okay, we had uh, John Legend with What's Going On, the uh, beautiful Marvin Gaye hit. And uh, she worked hard for the money. Donna Summer singing her disco smash about 
those individual people, those people who pick up for you at the motel and those people who clean up your mess and uh, prepare your food, all those people, they work hard for their money. In the words of Barbara Ehrenreich, they're subsidizing us with their low pay. Have a discussion in a minute about minimum wage. Funny how when someone offers minimum wage, everyone runs to see how it's going to affect the economy. But we certainly don't do that with people who make maximum wage, do we? Like Michael Eisner at a point one time where he's making $58,000 an hour. <clears throat> Come on. That should be examined at least as much as a minimum wage. Well, here's a here's a real bonus piece. This is a group of workers at a, a factory, Mexican workers, and two of their members were fired. So they walked off the job, and this guy is witnessing it. The commentator evidently worked there too, but when he sees what's happening, he takes his uh, cell phone and starts reporting on what's happening. And it's under the uh, title on YouTube of Hispanic Workers Leave Job After a Couple Was Fired. Y'all got him fucked up. Look at them. They sent a couple of them home. They all packed their shit up and shut this motherfucking day on. Nigga, who y'all think y'all playing with? Mexico, man, this is what black people need to be on, man. I swear to God, I love this shit. They are packing they shit up and shutting this motherfucker. Huh? Uh, oh, my mama. Oh, that shit. <laughs> they are not bullshitting. They packed up. Yeah, I see. It's over. Them motherfuckers now packed up and dipped. They thought they was going to play with these amigos, and they said, oh, yeah, we rise together, homie. And they leaving. And they not bullshitting. Take this in, man. Look at this, man. They shut this big motherfucker down today, man. We all going home, man. The SAs. Look, ain't no grinding, cutting, welding. This motherfucker dead ass quiet. The Mexicans shut this motherfucker down, nigga. Said, fuck you, bitch. And really, and really, see, this is what I'm talking about, baby. I swear to God, they got me here geeked up. Oh, my Malcolm back shit. Oh, my mama, nigga. Fuck the bullshit, nigga. Look at this. They shut this bitch down. They pissed them off, nigga. And they said, fuck you, we out. We not working no more today. Kiss my ass, nigga. I'll let y'all tomorrow. Oh, my mama. That's great. Look. Ain't nobody here. We're just cleaning up. We're going home. It's over, bro. Right with the essays, nigga. Fuck it. Going to the crib. Going to the. Going to the casa. Hasta la luego, man. Muy bien. You swear to God. Okay, that was a, uh, as I said, a um, group of Latino workers walking off the job in this guy who's uh, watching and amazed, evidently an African-American guy, is amazed and uh, totally impressed at what uh, at what was going on. About the minimum wage, uh, this is a story transcript from uh, 
Real News Network based in Baltimore. Job killer or path out of poverty. See? We can't give the wage workers a raise because it'll hurt the economy. Huh? The commentator is a guy named Jassel Noor. Maryland's Republican Governor Larry Hogan touts his ability to work across the aisle, but a brewing debate over raising the minimum wage could put him at odds with Democrats. That we have to continue to help people grow out of poverty. Uh, but th that's a different issue than minimum wage, which is supposed to be your first job entering the market. You're not supposed to be able to support a family on minimum wage. Maryland raised its minimum wage to 10.10 an hour last July. Of the state's over half a million low-wage workers, 9 in 10 are over the age of 20, and about a third have children. That's why polls show broad support for a $15 minimum wage. But Governor Hogan has his concerns. We will be more than twice as high as Virginia, that is 725. Now, does that put us in a competitive position? Do companies say, I'm going to start up and try, try to hire you know, 100 new young people uh, in, these, in these entry jobs. Am I going to do it in Maryland or am I going to do it in Virginia? So I think we need to have the discussion. There have been some reports that say we could lose as many as 100,000 jobs. The NFIB, or National Federation of Independent Business, predicts 100,000 jobs could be lost over the next decade if Maryland adopts a higher minimum wage. Higher labor costs would force employers to lay off tens of thousands of workers, including over 13,000 in the fast food sector alone, along with $61 billion in lost output over the next decade. The minimum wage has remained largely stagnant for half a century. When cities and states have raised it, peer-reviewed studies have found they did not cause job losses, argues economist David Cooper of the Nonpartisan Economic Policy Institute. There has been an enormous body of research on the effect of the minimum wage on employment, particularly since the mid-1990s, including recently by the Census Bureau, which has largely concluded that raising the minimum wage does exactly what it's supposed to do, raising the pay of low-wage workers with little impact on their employment. But in response, the NFIB's Susan Stolenberg argues the burden will fall on small business. If they can't raise prices because consumers won't pay more in the marketplace, they have no option but to cut hours or eliminate entry-level jobs. But Cooper disagrees, arguing even if there were cases where a minimum wage increase slowed the rate of job growth or led to a small reduction in workers' hours, the fact that workers were making higher hourly wages meant their take-home pay at the end of the year was the same, if not greater, than before, reducing the share of families in poverty. Seattle was the first city to adopt a $15 minimum wage. Groups like the NFIB warned about job losses. Stolenberg cites an October study. While some more experienced workers saw wage gains, less experienced workers saw no gain in pay and significant reduction in the rate of new entries in the workforce. Cooper argues the term experienced is being mischaracterized. It doesn't refer to skill or tenure. Instead, it's referencing workers who already worked fewer hours in the 12 months before the increase. He says the study is making his exact point. Most workers saw clear wage gains. Some ended up with the same amount of income for fewer hours of work. 
A recent Bloomberg piece about Seattle shows that employment in food service has actually increased since the minimum wage became 15 an hour in the beginning of 2018. And the first study to examine the impacts of raising wages over $10 an hour in six cities found more money going to low-wage workers and no significant job loss. Economists have found raising the minimum wage would have other benefits as well. Raising job retention, economic stimulus with more people having money to spend, and reducing the number of working people relying on government assistance. And a growing number of small business owners say they want a higher minimum wage. It is in the best interest of any business to ensure that their employees are able to meet their own basic needs. This is also a matter of ethics for me. I may be old-fashioned, but I believe that I should not be relying on government subsidies to stay in business. If I am paying my employees at a level where they are relying on food stamps to eat and Section 8 for housing, the government is picking up the tab on my substandard wages. That's not an ethical business. That's stealing from the taxpayers. The NFIB describes itself as the voice of small business, but questions have been raised about whose interests they serve. As CNN reported, top donors have included the Koch brothers, whose donor network push an agenda that benefits big business, a claim the NFIB vehemently denies. For their part, Democrats in Maryland are holding a press conference Monday to announce a push for a $15 minimum wage by 2023 starting this year. For The Real News, this is Jessel Knorr reporting in Annapolis, Maryland. Okay, there's the minimum wage debate sort of in a nutshell. Um, Employer-based witnesses or employer-based people say that uh, minimum wage makes it harder for small businesses to survive because they have to pay out more money to their employees. And uh, the minimum wage people say, well... I mean, they're supposed to work for you here. As the governor said, you're not supposed to be able to support a family on a minimum wage job. Well, what are you supposed to do? How does he support his family? They're they're probably okay, right? So he gets to support his family and someone else does not. That's what it always comes down to. The rich and privileged and the powerful... It's okay for them to do it because they can afford it. But if you can't afford it, you're not, you know, that keeps you out. Anyway, the minimum wage debate. American capitalism has failed us. Denmark, Norway, and Sweden are all thriving under democratic socialism. Why is it so difficult? for us to embrace. Film, outstanding British film, original screenplay, cinematography, production design, costume design, makeup and hair, editing, and Yorgos Lanthimos for director. Olivia Colman is nominated for leading. The wrong one. Here we go. It's true that they didn't work much, not by American standards anyway. In the U.S., full-time salary workers supposedly laboring 40 hours a week actually average 49. 
almost 20%, one-fifth of the working people clock in more than 60. People in Europe work about 37 hours a week when they weren't away on long-paid vacations. At the end of the workday, about 4 in the afternoon, perhaps 3 in the summer, they had time to enjoy a hike in the forest or a swim with the kids or a beer with friends, which helps explain why, unlike so many Americans, they are pleased with their jobs. Often I was invited to go along. I found it refreshing to hike and ski in a country with no landmines and to hang out in cafes unlikely to be bombed. Gradually I lost my war zone jitters and settled into the slow, calm, pleasantly uneventful life stream of stream here. This woman is Worked in Afghanistan for a while, then went to uh, Denmark, I believe. Anyway, check it out. That's on Alternet. American capitalism has failed us. The truth is that almost a quarter of American startups are not founded on brilliant new ideas but on the desperation of women or men who can't get a decent job. Anyway, check it out. We've got to get out of here. It's a quarter two. And let's see. Hope you've had a good visit here with us, and I encourage you to come down uh, to Mutiny Radio and get involved. You can either get a voice yourself, broadcast every week, your point of view. You can come and get involved in the comedy scene here. One of the real showcases of uh, underground comedy in San Francisco thus in the whole Bay Area. Um, we've got art, we've got video, we've got all kinds of things going on here. It's really a community art center. Okay, time for me to punch out. <laughs> nah. And our favorite uh, conscientious objector. This is the B, and uh, I'm going to sign off. I've got a party to get to for a young lady named Solina. Lodovita, Yemen, everybody, you know who you are. Hope you have a good week and good work. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor 
meets the road. You know, you made everything else. Wise men, great men, from every nation in the world, all the countries in the world. Have all kinds of conventions and festivals. Spend all the money. Suppose you had to spend half as much money on trying to make peace as you have been making war. We wouldn't have to worry about nothing. But it don't make sense. It don't make sense. It don't make sense when you can't make
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good special happy hour prices all night long with your mutiny radio comedy festival ticket march 1st through 5th check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com come take a seat i had a date there and it did not go well but it wasn't the fault of the place they're very nice asiento For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF Visual and Auditory Mind Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF.
Welcome. Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5. Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Bender's is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Bender's Bar and Grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips. Don't know anything about it. Sorry. All so, on my limited view. Yes, every Tuesday from 12 to 2. Uh, oh, you can if you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah, and Google Play. And Stitcher. iTunes. Oh, you already said that. TuneIn Radio. Uh, Stitcher, you said that. Spotify. Oh, my God, there's just so many. And Overcast. Um, yes, you can also find us on social media, M as in Mary, L as in Larry, P as in Peter, podcast, MOV podcast is our handle. Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. Bye. That, that kind of sucked balls. Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be 
Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes right, every Monday huh? from 6 right, to 8? Uh, flat Black Plastic. What I'm saying. Mutantradio.fm. Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Thank you, delegates. We lost this last one because we were the fifth party. Radio listener, Quite unusual it's that party. Time of year again. In that we were March definitely in favor of just having a ball. <laughs> and of course, we got a number of letters from various groups. Well, it's uh, nice to be here in San Jose. I wanted to uh, thank you. I almost said one time, I'm from Ohio, and I know you San Jose people hear this a lot. I said, San Jos. You get, get this about every hour. Some clown comes out of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. So is this San Jos? <laughs> and you just want to, you know, <laughs> grab him by the ears. But uh, I've learned, uh, learned a little Spanish since.